might have too been. Yo, I, my voice is a little gravelly this this weekend. We not only did I play a show the other day, but uh, allergies have just been you know a little out of whack here. So if I sound a little grizzly this week, that's why. But this, I'm sorry. I always I still say this week, but it's this time, right? This time on the Where It Went podcast. So I'm sorry for rambling already. Jason, get me off this fucking microphone and tell everybody (laughs) what we're talking about here today. Today, we're talking about the Youth of Today LP. We're Not In This Alone, originally released on Caroline Records in 1988, remixed, re-released by Revelation in 1997. Rev number 59. There's a lot of uh, remixes that we'll, we'll dive into eventually during the interview and then afterwards and the after talk which we call the outro the only way that you're going to be able to listen to that shit is if you are a patron and the only way that you can become a patron is to head to where it went podcast.com get some information on how to support us every month how to get tons of bonus content and also receive in the mail uh in the email the most comprehensive Revelation Records discography uh, laid out that in, in the entire world, I truly believe that we toiled endlessly to bring you that. But I, we, no, not we. You, you, nah, you did that. You did that. There's no I in team. There's no I in. There's no I in where it went podcast. <laughs> but before we get into, I had to think about it. <laughs> I wait. I was like, <laughs> before we get too deep into this episode. I, it, it looks like it's already time to. Jason, you go first because yours is directly related to uh, to this episode. Yeah, I've got two things. The first one is that there's a festival in Richmond coming up with a Vale Quicksand Cave-In ceremony called Over the James. Walter's going to be playing with Quicksand. We talked to him today for the interview. And if anyone comes into town for that, Vinyl Conflict, the record store here, the best one in town, moved locations. So they're now at 300 East Gray Street, which is near the fest. It's so bigger, if anyone right? comes down, it's bigger. What a gig. Um, yeah, it is a good, it's a good lineup. Dude, it's going to be a what fun a great day. Sto- what a great store. I Listen, was glad I have to go once. I got to go again. Jason, the, the next time you go to Vinyl Conflict, anytime you go to Vinyl Conflict, if you see a cassette copy of Four Walls Falling Culture Shock, Ooh. grab it for me because I only Hard have to come a- by. On cassette, I know, but yeah. I'm just saying, I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah. Um, and I would love to, wink, wink, someday see a reissue of that record, wink, wink. I would like to see that also. I, I, I wonder I, what they'd do with it. I don't know, but I hope that someone has the balls to put it out on cassette also. Ah. Uh, that would be sick. <laughs> that would be sick. Anyway, what uh, that, that sounds like a fucking gig. And um, especially in the depths of the summer in Richmond, Virginia, it's not going to be hot and humid at all. It's no, it very, won't be. Very enjoyable outside. It'll be nice and pleasant. <laughs> if, you, if, you buy, if you buy any records at the show, you can just leave them in your car. Yeah, they'll be fine. <laughs> but man, what a, what a great store. I, I went when, when count, you know, count Me Out played United Blood in 2018. And, you know, I had to go down, support my boy, Jason. Yeah. Because I never, I usually don't travel like that for for gigs. But I was like, count me out. You know, it's it's been a long time. And went to Vinyl Conflict, the old location, obviously, and just a cool store. Bobby's awesome, and uh, I'm glad to see them thriving. 
They also have a really great Discogs. So for people that can't get there, hit up the Discogs. I've gotten actually a lot of stuff that we need, quote unquote, need for the podcast. Yeah. Um, through uh, Vinyl Conflict. And, you know, it gets shipped out super fast. And the Discogs is pretty up to date as well. Because um, not all stores, you know, necessarily keep things up to date and put new stuff on there. So. Yeah, I actually picked up the Can't Close My Eyes reissue when I went down there for the opening weekend and the praise they had. I just got liquid death on my glasses. (laughs) 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 Throw that out to the liquid. We're not uh, sponsored, but liquid death. Hit us up. We'd love it. Um, Anyway, the other bit of bow I had is I reached out to Tim Singer. You all know that sings for Dead Guy, No Escape, Kiss a Goodbye that we just talked to. And he does layout and design, and he was the one that actually did the design for the um, and the layout for the reissue. We're not in this alone that came out. A task that I think has got to be hard to take on because the cover is so iconic. So I just asked him if he had any thoughts on it, and uh, through email he got back to me, and here's what he had to say about it. He just said that I was living in Seattle and was operating out of a tiny home office. I decided the layout should be a nod to the classic hand with X stencil. I remember when that stencil was all over the Lower East Side when YOT was really making their presence known in New York City. I'm pretty sure it was stenciled right outside and maybe inside some records. To riff on that street stencil idea, I made a stencil of the alphabet and scanned it. I used those letters for the word mark as well as the no symbol on the labels. The rest was just about picking cool photos and YOT is easily one of the most photogenic bands ever, so that was super easy. As far as the process, I think it all went smooth. Uh, and I. I'm sorry, I think it all went through Jordan and it was super smooth. Fun fact, I sang backups on that record with a very young Tom Capone, Porcel, Tom Boiling Point, and others. I consider this my first recording credit. Ha. Ah. So. Tim's, Tim's awesome. I uh, I definitely will we'll throw this out there because this is the part that everyone can hear. I want to do an uh, episode where we really talk to him about his design, his design work because his, his finger prints are all over um you know all over the, the rev catalog yeah you know i think it gets overlooked and we'll talk to him more about it at some point i hope fingers crossed it's because he's a good singer he's an awesome singer you know what i'm saying so when i think when people think yeah. of tim singer they think of him just killing it on vocals but he's also kills it on design so one day i'd like to talk to him about that hob what do you got I just want to give a, a quick bit of bow to some of the, again, I've, I've mentioned this before, but there's some local bands, um, In Time, Firestarter, Face Facts. Uh, these kids are awesome. And a, a, a quite a few times, me- various members of the bands have told me that they listened to our podcast and it's made them go back and listen to some of the early Rev catalog. And that's like influenced their songwriting for their bands so that's cool like that we're presenting kind of a critical picture of some of these records and we're like history professors putting younger people in touch with some of these because for us what was it like you picked up a zine and maybe got some like weirdly transcribed interview and maybe they were just talking shit and it wasn't in depth and it didn't talk about the history of these releases like so how do you like tour so far you know it's just like weird stuff like that so this is kind of gives you more of a, of a, you know, 
zoomed in um, detail of these records. And so I think it's that kind of stuff that makes it worth it for all of the effort that we put into this. So for sure, um, bit about to all of them and also to uh, not Jordan Cooper, but Coop who works in the mail room at Rev Records. Yes. He sent me a nice little note with uh, my praise pre-order. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Coop's great. So anyway, bit of bow to all of the young heads out there Uh, to, to, to flip the phrase old heads, which I fucking, I fucking hate that phrase. I know. I know you hate it, (laughs) but I'm going to turn it around and say young heads. Turn it, turn it, turn it around. (laughs) Tuna, tuna. So I have a couple <laughs> things. Um, first, I want to give a quick bit of bow to two different podcasts that were, you know, influential to me in wanting to do this one that had recent cool episodes. Mo, you don't know Mo Jack. You know, I, I'll always take any any chance I can give to give them a bit of shine. It was now a couple weeks old by the time you've listened, uh, you're hearing this, but the Dinosaur Junior Bug episode was really like, I've, I've been a bit out of touch with listening to podcasts, just busy. And while I work, it's sometimes not too easy. Cause I, I have to be focused. I'm dealing with numbers and things like that. But uh, the, the bug episode with the producer, Paul Coldery, who did like a lot of stuff in the Boston area. He did like, I think he did the first Radiohead record and whole and um, Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. And he did the Dino Junior Bug. It was a really cool listen. And also End on End. Um, they recently have so far behind on listening, but they had a um, episode about high back chairs. And like, there's really not much online. You just know Jeff Nelson drummed for him and, and Jim Spellman was in Velocity Girl. Like that's kind of all that's really online. It was cool to have that episode and listen to those guys. And uh, it's long, like most end on end is, they'll tell you it's like four and a half hours long, but it took me a couple days to get through, but uh, they had an interview with all the band besides Jeff Nelson. And it was, it was pretty awesome. So bit of bow to them. And finally a bit of bow to our sponsor for this episode End hits records our dear friend, Oise. Um, I got a few things brewing. Uh, New Stick to Your Guns pre-order that's currently happening. Um, And again, you can get these, if you go to endhitsrecords.com and you want to get updated with stuff, you can sign up for the mailing list. Uh, In the US, you can order stuff through deathwishinc.com. They're going to be releasing the new downset record on vinyl in December. As you can imagine, there's these production delays. That's why, even though I think it's out now, it's December. And this is really cool, I think. Um, pre-orders will be coming very soon for two vinyl releases, first time ever on vinyl, of uh, Krishna Das, uh, Kirtan, it's an album, Door of Faith, and Kirtan Walla. And this is the first End Hits Records release that is produced by rick rubin so no. the rick rubin no know, red hot chili peppers johnny cash danzig uh so many other things uh so that's really cool we love oise um and as you know all of this stuff is going to look absolutely superb 
So Bitipo and hitsrecords.com sign up for the mailing list. Cause a lot of these pre-orders go like that. That's all I got. Yeah. Boise, come talk to us again sometime. Yes. I, are y'all ready to? Uh, Anytime. He's got an open invite. Yeah. Jump into open this invite. Episode. Should we get in? Shall we? Shall we? Kick it. Can I kick it? Kick it. Kick it. Kick it. We're today from New York City. Jason uh, perfected that shit in uh, 2002. That's, that's true. I was one of the originators. Parmananda, I, I actually today was watching a video of the Youth of Today reunion in 1999, and you still had a Sika, yeah. uh, and you were wearing your Brahmin thread too. When did you get rid of and of your Sika and just go all bald? Probably two months after that show. And you just been shaving your head ever since I then. Still, I was still living in the temple. And as soon as mo- I moved out of the temple, I shaved off my secret. Mm-hmm. So I moved out of the temple like two months later. Just went straight into Grihasta life and just were like, yeah. I'm, I'm just going to be <laughs> shaved. <laughs> All right. So listen, 1988, apparently your numbers were doubling, but you were. They were you, freaking doubling. Yeah, this record came out. doubling. This uh, we're not as in the world record. Let me let me tell you if Walter was here, he would confirm it between Breakdown the Walls tour and like you know, right before we're not on this alone came out. The numbers actually doubled, like, there was a legit straight edge explosion around the country. Because you know, in Breakdown, you know, in the Breakdown the Walls era, we would play a show and it would be like you know, punk rockers and hardcore kids and, you know, whatever, be like a mix of kids. And then by the, literally by the time We're Not On This Alone came out, there was such a big straight edge scene that we would play shows and it would be like 600 straight edge kids. So that's, this is like 87 to 88 or, or from, even from 86 to 88, because 86 is, can't close my eyes, right? 85, 86. So what do you think attributed to that? explosion do you think it was just the fact that all of your guys bands were starting to tour more put out more records zines are coming out more you guys are riding bmx bikes around like what what happened bmx bikes they were mountain bikes (laughs) we started the whole mountain bike craze riding mountain bikes with camouflage cut off shorts i know that you guys started this i mean it was it was a good look i think you know you did you i guess there were seeds that were planted that started to grow you know so like there were record labels kind of and there was record stores and there was fanzines you know from some records to revelation records to you know yes cbgb's but now there's the pyramid club and then there's the anthrax is doing more shows so just like all these seeds that you know those guys planted in 86 87 and probably even before then just started to kind of come together um I think that the Together 7-inch kind of was a big one for, for me. It just felt like, wow, we're organized now. We're all on the same 
team, you know, Warzone, Nausea, Youth Today Bold, Gorilla Biscuit side by side, like we're all just together. And then the way it is after that, it just felt really connected, you know? Was a it cool? Big, a couple of big records. I mean, I, I don't know, like the, forgot the chronological order, but we're on Salone, Star Today, you know, a bunch of these records. And then comes Walter Schreifels, as I say, Star Today. Walter Schreifels in the house. Gorilla Biscuits. Woo! people. <laughs> What's, What's up? Walter? Yeah, whole squad. We're talking about the numbers doubling in '88 and how why they doubled. It's crazy. You know, one thing. One thing I think it was kind of like a perfect storm of a bunch of different things because, you know, a lot of like I think there was a lot of focus and attention on New York hardcore in general. Like Agnostic Front was getting really big. The Crow Mags were getting really big. Um, you know, so people were looking towards this, like, oh, wow, what's going on in New York? There's all these cool bands. And we just happened to be one of the bands. But I also think the fact that we were a little bit different and that we were, we were positive and we had this kind of like more bright message than what was usually coming out in New York hardcore. I just think there was a lot of kids that resonated with that. Like there was a lot of kids that were into fast, loud, fun stage divey music but they weren't into drugs mm -hmm. and heroin and you know fighting people on the streets <laughs> well, i mean that's what that's what attracted me to you today was it was way more relatable because like i was like oh yeah i'm just a kid from the suburbs like yeah it's very even though I, I love chromax and agnostic front but you know i can't relate yeah and, and, no i think we even looked more relatable yeah, you know, sure. we, we didn't look crazy punk. You know, we wore just like, you know, whatever, you know, what kids were wearing in school, kind of jockey kind of school clothes. And I think that actually I, I think that actually, you know, made us more relatable and accessible to just your average kid that was getting into hardcore. That wasn't some crazy, you know, you know, ganja smoking PCP, you know, out of a freaking bag, hardcore kid, a punk mm -hmm. rock kid. Because of the out the, the name, of, there was a lot of those kids that were around all the, all over the country. Thinking about that album, the name "We're Not Alone" and that cover—it's so inviting too. It's just like, come join us, man. We're all here standing together in this photograph, and it's "We're Not This Alone." It just felt like, um, you know, and for me, before I was in the band as a fan of even when "Breakdown the Walls" came out, that looked like inviting. I want to be part of this, but "We're Not Alone" really spelled it out. You know, you can be part of this. Get I with it. The uh, that day too that we did that photo shoot, like I think is like really special, like in that the whole like we were like all just so into it and our whole crew was into it. And we like really had like everyone's like little details were down about like what like our outfits were. Not that we were like talking about it, but like, you know, revolutions, like all this kind of gear that we were wearing and like yep. these high school kind of like jockey things, but with like shaved heads or like whatever some little weirdness about it um was like really tight like we were most into the idea i think at that very moment like yes that our was crew when, was strong at that moment that was when we had the youth crew look dialed in totally. it, was exactly. cool. it was new no one yeah. dressed like that and yeah that, that record cover really really captured caught us on the right day i think you know what else is really cool? I was, you know, speaking of We're Not This Alone and how kind of special that cover is. I was thinking about the We're Not This Alone cover the other day because I was watching that Sex Pistols series on Hulu. Anybody see that? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I, I haven't it. seen all of it, but I saw the first mm -hmm. couple. 
Well, you know, the Sex Pistols, they did that famous TV show where they swore on the TV show. Yeah, Gren- the Grundy show. And so they rolled into the TV show and the guy says, no, no, we just want the band. And, you know, they had all of their friends and that yeah. whole kind of like burgeoning punk scene from London. Yeah. Malcolm McLaren goes, no, we're not just a band. We're a whole movement. And we want yeah. all of our friends and everybody there with us. And I, I was just thinking like, wow, that's just like the we're not on this loan cover. We didn't just want the band. We wanted our whole crew. We wanted to mm-hmm. promote this thing like this isn't just a band. This is like a movement that's kind of like taking root. Here's all of our friends to prove it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what that's what's inviting about it, because it's not just like the four guys in the band on the front. You felt like you could be on the cover. You know, like just to make note of why we're talking about that cover and that photograph while we were walking down to wherever the band shell on Avenue D, somebody threw a brick out the window at us and it smashed through the windshield of a car. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy oh, game. man. So but was it, it weird to see? Was it strange to see people take that look and then run with it and then pick up on what you wore on that cover and then make it the quote unquote youth crew? look you know what i mean if you see someone wearing camo pants and you'd see it every time we play the anthrax more and more that's where i noticed it with you know bands like wide awake and um that just kind of was like the spot specifically where you would notice a lot of you know tim brooks was rolling in with some fresh nike stuff it was just the look was it was a, it was a real uh it was a place to show your your your, your look off there yeah I, I found it interesting uh in regards to the youth crew look when we went to like Czechoslovakia and saw their adaptation because they couldn't get the real shit. So they just kind of had some sort of, you know, uh, approximation of it. Like nowadays, like everything's the same. You can get anything you want anywhere. But like at that time, it was like getting a pair of Chuck Taylors would be like an accomplishment for like a European. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, they would have kind of like their adaptation of the look, which was cool, but it was just like a bit off. (laughs) but what do you think when you see kids now 18 and 20 year olds dressing like that with like bleached hair a bold shirt cargo pants nikes like it's basically normal kid like any single american kid like a lot (laughs) it's true like you look at someone you're like is this kid just a streetwear kid that loves supreme and noah or are they like shopping on Rev HQ? You know what I mean? I got like, a kick like the last year when the fanny pack was coming back and you see that in, you know, Supreme ads or something like that. And I was like, man, that is, if the fanny pack is making a comeback, that's pretty impressive. Cause that one was always sort of an extra special move back I'm then. I'm full fanny, dude. I'm back. 100%. Yeah, it's yeah, practical. So practical. It's so practical. It's, it's so good for traveling. You put yeah. your put your passport in there. You put your phone charger. Like you're ready to yeah. go. My yeah. family makes fun of me until they need me to hold something. Oh yeah, that's not so funny. Anymore. Yeah, then that's yeah. that's that's really great. So one um, of the things I wanted to you want to know uh, what I really like about the youth crew look is like when you go to a different country, like you go to Indonesia or you go to South America, and they have the or Japan, and they have the look. Right. Just perfected. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. You know I mean? Like they've studied the album covers. They got the shorts. They got the peg pants. They, they nailed it. They One thing cool about about Capo, I will say, is that he's you know he's always kind of one step ahead in certain ways, and I feel like with um, you know even with the I mean definitely the lyrics of Winston Sloan specifically, I thought he was throwing some curveballs in there, which was great. But the fashion too. I mean, we were all 
all right, we got our youth crew down. We're good. We got our champions. And he's wearing like low top Doc Martin's sh- shoes, you know, on the back of the disengaged seven ish. I'm thinking you know, <laughs> with sweats, you know, like with sweats. Yeah. He's just kind of, he's <laughs> always blazing in some different, um, yeah, just he, and then like it went into dark. wearing uh, like gi pants on stage, right? Yeah. Gi yeah. pants with a tank top. Cool, he always looks cool. Like I don't know if that look with the sweats and the docks is a miss, but I think at, at the time, like I thought Ray's just cool. He yeah. he wore like he wore like biker shorts, and I thought, God damn, Ray looks cool in them bike in those biker shorts. Yeah, <laughs> like um, he just wore clothes well. So like uh, whatever he wore, he kind of looked cool in it. Although, yeah, I'm sure if you look back, maybe some of those looks are misses. But at the time, he just he he just had that. Like Christian Hasoy. Yeah. He was wearing jeans on the back of Ronald Salone, and he's doing that jump. And uh, I think we called him Ronald McDonald, possibly, for that photograph. But um, he's wearing jeans, right? Dungarees? Yeah. That's uh-huh. how to be jumping like that with jeans. On. Yeah. We, we, call, we call him Ronald McDonald because his eyebrows go so his much. Eyebrows. <laughs> the golden arches. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's a cool picture. You know, I, I, when I was thinking about this word on this little thing, you really got to give it up to Capo, man. The guy is a genius. Yeah. The whole cover thing about having our whole crew, that was his idea. The name, okay. We're Not On This Alone, which is like one of the greatest album names ever. He yeah. came up with that. Um. Who came up with "We're Back"? Whose idea was, was gonna to, say, to say, "Hey, we're back"? That's well. I was going to say you, you almost can't talk about this record without saying you guys did. Well, there was a lineup change between "Break Down the Walls" and this, and and then there was also a short breakup. Can yeah. you talk about that? The "We're Back" was from the breakup because we broke up um, when Mike was playing drums, and we went through this weird phase where. Capo wanted to make us sound like suicidal tendencies. Remember that, Walter? <laughs> like blast or like suicidal tendencies. Just sounded crazy. And but he, there were some good ideas in there. But we just I think it was just like a little bit of like we were just a little uh, unsettled in like because Richie and had left and Mike had left. And I don't know what the hell we were doing at that point. Yeah, maybe when Richie had left and it was just Mike. It was it was me, you, Mike. And Cap, I remember the day that we broke up. We had that practice at Don Furious. And you remember the song "Blind Patriot"? It used yeah. to go 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 blind. Yes. Go 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 Patriot. Yeah. It's kind of like it it's was, hard to say whether it was in like a black flag song. It was like a black flag song. Yeah, he was going for something more uh, banged up, and um, I don't know. Like we, I didn't think it was bad but i wasn't really sure where he wanted to go with it and then we had the uh, song that was like kind of a rap song that was rebel, yeah. rebel with the cause rebel with the cause should have done that shit dude that would have been a good one i mean you yeah. never know capo's such a freaking genius if we had actually gone with that whole thing it probably wouldn't have been the most groundbreaking thing we would have i know we maybe we should have backed that a little harder <laughs> we should have gave him a chance yeah <laughs> I was like, I don't know. It like, seems like a bit like a rap rock thing. That'll never work. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and how much, uh, Sammy and Walter, how much did you have for the songwriting process for We're Not In This Alone? I mean, we went up to my dad's place on, uh, my dad had a warehouse. Uh, it was like his business was like moving and storage stuff. And so he, he lived in a part of it and we, he was able to play, he played drums, he was able to play drums, I was able to play drums, so we rehearsed there. So we would go there and rehearse 
and I kind of, I do remember, you know, certain songs. I mean, I definitely remember, you know, Capo's songs and then Walter had songs and uh, I mean, Priscilla tunes, like it, it would it happen, you know, it came, it, a record was written, came together. I remember learning Keep It Up. I remember, you know, Choose To Be and Capo's, the, the way he writes his ideas and stuff. Um, what about the song that Capo came in that was exactly always a friend for life by Warzone, like exactly, oh, yeah. and the chorus? Like he came in with the song that was like literally exactly always a friend for life by Warzone. We like we love this song. It's called Always a Friend for Life. <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> Amazing about the writing process for that record. We literally wrote that whole entire record in six weeks. Do you remember how fast we wrote that record? We yeah. were on tour and we had that Caroline contract. Yeah. We had a very short window to come up with this whole record. That was the, like usually even like break down the walls. We had a lot of those songs for years. We had played them live and stuff. I don't think we played any one of those songs live. Like we just kind of went, we wrote, you know, a whole bunch of songs really, really quick. We worked hard every single day. And man, that record was like, it just kind of came together really fast. I thought it was really cool how, um, especially like coming into the band uh, during Breakdown the Walls time and, you know, contributing a little bit like here and there on like Together and... Uh, and uh, understand which were kind of like the inter inter period songs that i remember but that um that ray and you both you guys especially like me coming in and and obviously sam was the kind of new guy that there was this like openness to any creative idea that we were all just like contributing um because in you know in my mind it's like break down the walls is like the best album like you guys are basically you know the, the, doing it and then you guys were open to my contributions to it and then capo is guaranteed whatever crap you put together capo is going to put some inspirational lyric to that's going to make it sound amazing um which was really an exciting thing and and each day like you know we'd be either sounding out ray's songs which always had this kind of fun craziness to it because he would like play it on bass or just go like and say it to you yeah. and we'd have to like sound that out and then, you know, between you and I, we were coming through and Sam is always like leveling up all the songs. We just had such a good um, sort of like conveyor belt of- uh, He, of, he wasn't of really singing in, in the studio. Is it, do I remember correctly? Like, I don't remember hearing vocals till he went in the studio and just busted it out that day. Or was he a, singing? A lot, of those, a lot of those songs he wrote literally that, that week before we went in the studio, we never even heard half those songs. We never heard him sing. We had no idea. I remember when he sang Flame Still Burns, I was like, oh my God, this is the greatest song ever. We had never yeah. heard it before. I know he did everything in one day. He came in and I just remember we were like, eight of us were in the control room and he's in the room by himself doing his vocals and he's just ripping through every song. I remember in Choose To Be before the mosh part, rah, 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 and he just hear boom, and he falls to the ground and he passes <laughs> out. And he kind of gets back up and like, okay, let's go again. And he just keeps at it. And I think that one day he he did the whole album, which is wild. Man, he really nails the song. I remember when he did that whole fuck, we're all on the same fucking song. I was like, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that's a keeper. Keep that. He brought it. Like oh, pretty yes. much every song has like some sort of ray, one or two like moments that he's just so completely like unhinged and and in the song that it's like, you just can't, you, you, you can't deny it. That it's just like exactly like hardcore energy, like personified. And, uh, and we did a good job writing the songs, but I think his, his, uh, 
his his vocal delivery is just maniacal and the lyrics are so good yeah the lyrics are really good and they're super progressive like what straight edge band is writing songs about you know being a blind patriot like vegetarian stuff i mean he's potential friends i think he was talking about uh i feel like he was saying like yeah i was on the bus and i wanted to look at you know what if i reached out to this person or pretend you know potential friends or what goes around uh you know just hitting hitting some topics that were other people were not doing um you know choose to be was about remember he had all those weird club kid friends at the tunnel we worked at this club called the tunnel which was like an infamous kind of club kid famous you know place in, in the city it was actually run by that dude it was owned by that dude that got murdered remember that whole thing it was a movie yeah, michael alleg michael alleg uh-huh. and so it was this crazy club and me and capo worked there and capo had all these kind of club kid friends and we were never really like friends with them and i was always kind of thinking like why the hell is capo hanging out with those freaking weirdo club kid guys and he used to always get pissed at me he was like these guys are really cool all these girls are really cool you just don't give them a chance or whatever and so choose to be is sort of a song probably directed at me like give my club kid friends a chance like like what's that one line um for having some friends that just don't fit in because that's not how you know that's that was about his club kid friends mm. yeah, I, I punished richie birkenhead about the club kids because of the whole walt paper thing who did the some of the artwork for um those records and so that that connection between the club kids and like your generation of straight edge kids is super fascinating to me. Yeah. It's awesome. it was, I mean, I think it was also a time of New York where those worlds were all kind of mixing together, you know, of hip hop and dance and hardcore and punk and like, but yeah, a lot of those, you know, Richie and yourself and Capo, like you guys worked at, the, you know, Rabies worked at those clubs. Eddie, Eddie Leeway worked there. We all worked there. It was great. Yeah. Oh man. How did the Caroline deal come about? Was it something that seemed out of the ordinary at the time or did it just seem natural to go with what they were doing? Do you guys remember how the Caroline deal happened? Just, how did that even happen? I felt like we were kind of flailing actually. And Caroline, the Caroline thing might've had a, a good role in like getting our shit back together. Because as I recall, the, the Caroline thing like the rock hotel had obviously made some records but they already had a bad reputation i think at that point whereas caroline was kind of cooler and they came with like a really you know for like hardcore like a sick ass deal and uh kind of got us serious mm -hmm. i mean we had a budget for new equipment and i think caroline like wrote us a check and they're like here's five thousand dollars go buy new equipment i remember just being in sam ash and like this is insane. Like a record yeah. label has given me money to buy equipment. I was so psyched. Yeah. We had a video budget. Remember yeah. That? Oh, that's right. Yeah. It was, it was the next level. I mean, Revelation had been doing records, but I mean, really that they, they were maybe giving you an advance, like enough to maybe, of you know, a couple few thousand dollars or something like it wasn't, it, it was, that was just where they were at. So um, Caroline, was a huge jump and actually we did prior to caroline we uh had a meeting with michael lago at um MCA. at uh at uni. whatever label he was at it was um, uni, like through MCA. i think yeah. Elect electra was it electra he was at uni at this time which is i think uh might have been post his time in electra but um 
or maybe, you know, maybe within the same company. But uh, we had a meeting with Michael Olago at that time as well. And I think just sort of like that was just not what I felt was in the realm of possibility for a band like Youth Today, even though I thought we were like the best band going. It wasn't because I didn't think we were great, but just that um, I didn't really see like how that would really like um, spread to a larger audience. But Caroline, I guess, had a bit of vision and maybe they were better positioned than a major label to like uh, get us like um, and which they did as the record came out, like we got to go to Europe, which was a massive thing, Um, you know, not only just for us and our experience, but I think just as like a sort of like, you know how Europe is just such a a, a more hardcore, especially like New York hardcore is more popular in Europe than it is in the United States, I think on, on whole. And, um, and it was because Caroline just had certain connections and could get us in certain places. And, um, you know, maybe in some ways, it didn't get us in places. And, you know, I don't know, um, you know, it ended up back on revelation, obviously. So I guess, um, you know, maybe they didn't stick with it, but at the time it was like, we're going places. This is, this is pretty cool. It was us us and the swans. Yeah. Swans and and pussy galore. Yeah. I mean, not only that, I mean, how visionary was Caroline? I remember walking into the office and seeing all the smashing pumpkins. Yeah. Smashing pumpkins. And what's his face? Um, uh, Rob Zombie was always yeah. there. Yeah. Rob there. Yeah. We didn't appreciate at the time, like I think Jeff Nelson ultimately worked there. No. It, it would, yeah, I was going to ask if it was Lyle. Lyle oh, yeah, that's right. But it, they gave us money to buy equipment to go in the studio and to buy a van. The van was a lemon and it died. But then Steve Reddy came to our rescue and we toured. But they gave us what we needed, you know. So um, that was pretty. And yeah, that was cool. And that back then it was a huge step. Me and Alex went and bought that. Me and Alex went upstate and um, bought the van and then uh, drove it, tried to drive it home. And we got like 30 miles and the thing like blew up. And I forget who came to pick us up, but me and Alex were like sitting in Batavia, New York for like hours, either waiting for a bus or maybe someone someone picked us up. I can't remember. This was like the day before we were supposed to leave on our summer tour. (laughs) Yeah. Steve Steve Reddy came down. With yeah. his van and to our rescue, and he basically drove us around the country. And um, we left from my mom's place on 15th Street. I remember that night just waiting, like around. And I remember Luke and I going to this place we called a transvestite donut because it was filled, it was a donut shop that was filled with transvestites and video games on 14th Street and 8th Avenue. Yeah. We were just like killing time, just like waiting. I mean, to leave. I mean, no cell phones. I don't know how we would have known to come back. But I just remember that night of just like, yeah, we're gonna go to transvestite donut and play video games, and we'll come back and. I think we left like late that night and just ripped it. And that van was amazing. Um, yeah, for so many reasons, but. Yeah, that uh, van is pictured on the um, on the the seven inch, the disengaged seven inch with all the graffiti on it and all that. That was uh, Steve oh, Reddy. Oh, nice. That was Steve yeah. Reddy's van that I don't think had all that graffiti on it when he drove it to, drove it to us. <laughs> no. we, and we, we just. He came to pick us up. Alex Brown pulled out a marker and he wrote flame still burns suckers on the side of the van. That was the very first thing we did before we left on tour. <laughs> but one thing, I mean, thinking about that record, I remember doing the backup vocals and Ray B's being there and, and always hanging on a little bit longer yeah. with his voice. Sabotaging so us. So he could sabotage us, but also just so he could be heard, you know, he's Ray B's. So <laughs> like, you just hear his voice just lingering on. That was fun. Yeah. Um, we heard that uh, Tim Singer, he said, uh, 
he did the back. He was there for back, right? Jason, am I right on that? Tim was probably there. Yeah. Uh, his so first obsessions at his, that time. His first recorded, I think he said it was his first recorded appearance. Cool. Were all the Boiling Point guys there? I don't remember. Maybe they were. So did we go there for, we were there before uh, Judge went there and maybe before GB went there as well? Was that the, like, whose idea was it? Like, let's go to Chungking. This is the place to go. This was the first of the Chungkings. Is that correct? Somebody, somebody recorded at Chungking and it came out really good. Was it Murphy's Law? Maybe. Yeah, probably. We had recorded there and we we're like, wow, this is great. And it was like, you know, we were in total professional mode because Caroline was dishing us out all these checks. So we decided we we're going to go to a real studio. Yeah. Um, you know, the recording is not great, but I tell you, I love that guitar sound. I'll back that guitar sound all day. I thought it was great. great. I think all the elements of the recording are really, really cool. They're just not exactly synced up to each other uh, yeah. on a regular place. It's sort of like, you know, <laughs> they meet up and then all of a sudden scrambled eggs and then they kind of come back. I feel and... like like Slow Down is one of the only songs I could really, there's like two or three I could actually listen to that are, are together. Like Slow Down is really, is kind of tight. Maybe put it, no, put it sides not. Well, you know what? It wasn't our fault. The guy messed up miking the drums when we all did the initial tracks together. And then he had Sammy overdub the drums, which is impossible for hard. Yeah, we overdubbed the snare drum one day. I went in, he's like, hey, can you just like sit at the snare drum and just go pat, 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 pat. And he's like, I'll just blend it in. But it was just, we were tight. So it didn't, it was strange. It didn't make sense. But yeah. it, it I, I, yeah. I was pushing for like, let's re-record this thing. This is bullshit. Cause it sounded crazy. But yeah. I think when Kappa, uh, Kappa wasn't really feeling that because it would have it would have been Constantly. more money. It would have been, you know, that would have been an issue. And um, and then when he sang on it, he just did such a great job of bringing it together that I think it was obviously people love it. You know, I love it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, what's funny, Walter, me and you had had some discussion about how we hated the recording. Yeah. And I was like, fuck it. I'm going up to Caroline right now. And I'm telling them that we have to re-record it. And remember that really nerdy guy that was in charge of Caroline? He had like the spectacles. That was Keith. Yeah, Keith. Yeah. So I bust into Keith's office. I was like, we're not happy with this recording. We want to do the whole thing over. And Keith was like, what are you talking about? This thing sounds incredible. And he had a really good stereo in his office. And he put it on and he cranked it up. And it's like, da-da we're back and i was like actually it does sound pretty good let's roll with it <laughs> but, uh, I, yeah i mean it's just like it's sort of like a um you know some in a, some other dimension like we i think we did we did well on that when we did the disengage one because i think that's way more of an indication of like actually how how tight of a band we were we were like we, we played really well together and i, I think that um we're not this alone is is perfect for in that in that it's like people love it and it's like a thing but as a on a musician level um it sticks in my cross sometimes a little bit yeah, yeah that's true but yeah. then it was it was remixed right like so there's there's the original mix that came out and then there's the one that caroline did with the black sticker with the white writing that said remix yeah um which i i only have the the first mix i can't uh i'm not sure what the difference is i know the the rev one that we'll talk about in a little bit but what was do you know what like what were the details about that first remix like 
I'm pretty sure that we went back in and did more backup vocals, didn't we? There's I think we. Were, I remember the rabies thing being an issue in a way. Like we had to like flat. It literally sounded like rabies as like the one singer. It was so intense. <laughs> I think we went back in. I think we had to ditch a lot of the backup vocals. So when we did the remix, we went back in and re-recorded backup vocals. There's definitely backup vocals on the second mix that weren't in on the first mix. Yeah. Uh, I'm not really sure what the- I thought you redid some of the guitars too. I remember the guitar sound getting kind of beefed up. Is that, is that, was that in the remake? I thought you redid some guitars too. I didn't too. play any extra guitars. Yeah. And I guess whose idea was it? Did Caroline say, hey, we should remix this? I think we just complained. Did you guys end so up much? lobbying? I think we just complained about it so much that they kind of threw some money at us to remix it. Yeah. But I don't think it was, I don't think it was any kind of significant difference. Yeah. I'd have, love to like uh, open that thing up, man, and just hear what the hell's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I took the Pepsi challenge. There's yeah. they're online, Youth Crew 88, that YouTube that uh John John from Shining Life does. They had the first mix and the second mix, and I listened to them back to back to see what the differences were. It sounds like the bass is a little bit louder on the second mix. What do you guys prefer? Do you have a preference? First mix, second mix? Uh I'm gonna go for the 97 mix is my favorite because I think the guitars sound the crispest on that mix, the drums sound. Is as... that a third mix then? It got mixed again? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it got remixed by Don Fury. Okay. Um, I Good. only listened to this, the original, whatever mix this was. I remember the first time I heard not the original cassette version. I was like, what is, what's happening here? This, why does it sound so different? And, you know, you get so used to hearing the way that songs sound or the way that they go. And so when you hear a remix or a remaster, sometimes it's, it doesn't hit you the same way. It's so, um, it's so true. Even like when I hear those <clears throat> remix misfit songs, mm -hmm. I prefer the crappy sounding original misfits because that's <laughs> when I was a kid and that's how I heard it. And that's how I want to hear it. And even if it sounds better, I don't care. I like the first mix. Better. Yeah. You just get used to, like legacy of brutality versus static age versus collection one or whatever like you kind of if you're if you're really into music you narrow in on one album or one time in your life and that's when you heard it and that's what you're comfortable and familiar with um and yes maybe the rev 97 remix sounds better or whatever but if i fucking put this record this tape in a boom box and crank it up it it, it just makes me feel like this is the way that these songs should be played in my ears. Mm. I remember the first version I heard was that whatever the bootleg CD was, the there was that bootleg CD that had, because you know since this wasn't on Rev, and by the time I got into it, I, it was out of print, mm -hmm. and they had the CD. It had like the "We're Not in This Alone," and then maybe two or three different mixes of "Can't Close My Eyes," which. We'll save that for can't close my eyes time because Rev also reissued that. But um, I don't know what mix that was. I'm assuming that was the original mix. I don't know. I don't know. Have we talked? Have we talked about the Youth of Today Danzig War that happened during the recording before? You said that you 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 ran into him in the hallway a couple of times. Or the writing, ago. right? Like uh, Satan sucks, or I forget what. <laughs> Danzig was recording their first album at the same exact time that Youth Today was recording our album. We would record during the day and Danzig would record at night. 
And they had just come into the studio. The studio walls had all graffiti all over them. And one day they came in and they had painted the walls perfectly white. And so I, I think that Capo, remember Capo wrote on the wall, he said, wake up and live, warlocks. <laughs> warlocks. <laughs> he kind of taunted Danzig a little bit. And then Danzig wrote back, your mother's in here with us, Capo. And then it started this whole graffiti war between us and Danzig that went on for like two weeks. It was so funny. Wow. I wish we had the whole, a picture of the whole wall. It it's like crazy. a message board, original message board. <laughs> I love the dismissal of all like goth people as warlocks. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever run into Danzig years later and, and bring it up? Well, at, like we, a festival we, or something you guys played? Me and Sammy were leaving the studio late one day and we went down the elevator. As soon as the elevator doors opened, Danzig was walking in. And we, it, was, it was sort of like this awkward thing. Like, is he going to be pissed? Is he going to try to fight us? Like, whatever. But he just walked right past us and he got out of the elevator. And we turned around and we went straight edge. And it was so perfect. He just looks at us and he just goes, Satan. And then the doors closed while he was giving us the horns. <laughs> Yeah, it was really, it was really cool. There was a lot of bands recording. Um, remember, uh, um, Jam Master Jay walked in and he beatboxed "Happy Birthday" to Sammy. That happened during the, that recording. Wow, that's wild. Sammy um, doesn't remember and that. Public, and Public Enemy were there one day when we were there. Yeah, I do remember yeah. that. And Sammy, you turned what fifteen while recording this or something? I think so. Like uh, I was fourteen. I joined in '87, so yeah, fifteen. March 88. When did we record it? Some probably around then. Yeah, probably right then. March. 88. Yeah. That's wild. <laughs> I was thinking about the song Keep It Up. That was always Capo's like special tune and he would go just extra nuts. We'd play that live. We went to Europe in 89. That record came out and it was a long tour. And I remember it was always nice to see that on the set list because if it was the show was kind of funky for whatever reason, you knew that he was just going to go next level insane. 100% capo when keep it up. What was it what was it about keep it up that triggered something in capo's head like some kind of childhood trauma. Yeah. I don't know what it was, was. the nuclear man it was like <laughs> that was the tune like yikes. And I wish I kind of wish he uh you know Ray was here to ask him but I if I recall correctly there was some zine where he broke down the lyrics. Didn't he write that song like to himself? I think so. Well, a lot of songs when, he would go, when he would go nuclear and sing the songs, you know, the song was like, you never like the trend. That's why you quit. He would change it to, I never liked the trend. That's why I quit. I know it was wrong. I know it was strong. I knew the whole time. Ah, fuck, ah, ah. <laughs> he changed it to the first person. So he must have, it must have been a very kind of personal song for him. I wish he was here to explain it. Same. Yeah. Sammy, I feel like I remember you saying, or, or did I, I find Mandela effect? this but like that you could hear like you ray has mentioned how he's inspired by like he loves show tunes oh yeah. yeah and i remember you talking sort of about how you can in a way in a roundabout way like hear it in like a lot of the call and response type vocals they definitely on. like time will remember as a show is a show tune like that's yeah this is time because he was he'd listen to Pippin. He had a cassette of Pippin that he'd listen to while he would drive and just sort of stare off into like the yonder while Pippin was playing in the van. Oh my god, it was the we, we had this rule that whoever drove whoever drove got to pick the music. 
And when Capo got in that driver's seat, it was just miserable. It's like Pippin. What else did he play? Like the Hair soundtrack. Richie's family or something. We're like 20 years Didn't old. Didn't he love Journey? I mean, he liked I'm, one song. He liked uh, Don't Stop Believing. We'd always get psyched on that <laughs> But do you one. think, what if he did all this just so you guys didn't want him to drive? Like he was just like, no, oh, he, I... he didn't like that stuff. <laughs> the worst is when he's becoming a devotee and he would drive and chant and then he would just stare into like space and you're like looking at the stream. We're like, dude, like are you, there's a car coming. And it's just, like, it's just like looking out. Um, but yeah, I think the da 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 the trip, like the whole like three at, uh, of hardcore, the way we played it especially, had a real um, show tune thing about it. Skip. It tells the story. It kind of progresses the plot uh, mm-hmm. of of these sort of uh, young guys that are like you know trying to spread a message and uh, you know kind of like do this thing. And the songs like kind of carry that that story. I think this is this time will remember for sure. Yes. I can just see it on stage with like a set of the Lower East Side and, you know. But even like no more, it's like then the stage gets dark, you know, and it's like act three and doom, doom. It's like, right, it's like, in some scary warehouse and it's like. How you know, gets brought on stage, like, ooh, you know. But it's two guys, it's the Boiling Point guys in a cow suit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn. How was the response to the lyrical content of the record after it came out? Was there any confrontational things that happened from from the lyrics to some of the songs? I mean, you have prejudice, you have uh, choose to be, no more. I think was this was a big, you know, wake up to a lot of people or something that was probably taken the wrong way. Maybe we were that- we were we were a little worried about how people were going to take no more. Quite honestly. We were like, are we just pushing the envelope? Like, we've already asked people to give up drugs. Now we got to ask people to give up meat. Like, are they really going to go for it? But I tell you, it was us. It was an incredibly overwhelming, positive response to that record. Yeah. And at that point in youth of today's, you know, career, if you could call it that, there was no more real like confrontation. There was no more people throwing bottles at us. There was no more fights. It was just, we would roll up to a club and there'd be 300 to 500 straight edge kids there. Just so psyched to have us there screaming along with every word. It was a really fun tour actually, because by that time the straight edge scene had really progressed in America that it was in every major city. And at that point it was just kind of people that loved us. And it was like a celebration of the music. And it was an awesome tour except for a couple of spots, like maybe Texas, we had some trouble, but right. compared to the Breakdown the Walls tour, which was like a little nutty. But Europe was, you know- Europe was highly confrontational. And, yeah. Europe, and then Europe was like going back 20 years in time. Right. Trying to play hardcore to like the Sex Pistols. I remember playing that show. There's, you know, two show on my birthday, two shows in Belgium. The first show was put with all these straight edge kids. It was a packed show. It was awesome. These four metal kids threw a beer on stage. A fight broke out. I mean, that was just part of the story. But the second show we played Same was night. like 20 like grown men, all just super Nazi'd out with like 100% white tattooed on their neck. And I remember being scared. The swastika on his Adam's apple. I remember seeing like, right a swastika tattoo I remember, on top of his head. Capo, we got to the song Prejudice. I was like, should we skip it? You know, and he was just <laughs> like, this has gone out to you fucking racist. It's called Prejudice. Like he just. He went right out. Yeah. That and was we, a bold, that was a bold move. I remember even being on stage and being like, "We're gonna die tonight." Yeah, yeah. our tour manager dude was just like, "They've got guns." 
They're Nazis. Like, we need to leave. I was like, fuck. Yeah, but Capo just like 100% like went straight at them. It was heroic. And and we uh, we made it out alive, which was. And that was and that was after he got a fucking the first show. Got got a riot first show. He already got in a fight. Yeah, Yeah, but that that was was the same. It just come from a riot. Yeah, (laughs) you could do an episode where it went episode or something on that day, (laughs) March twenty first, nineteen eighty nine. Yeah. So, and by the European tour, an extraordinary life, haven't we guys? (laughs) Oh, and and especially thinking about Sam, you being so young at this point, you know, like. Well, thinking about that story about the going down to take that photograph with the brick flying out the window, you know, for the cover around Salona, just like how comfortable I was, I think with the, these guys as my friends being a little older than me. And also just how Capo's leadership of like, I'm going to follow this dude into the fire. You know, I would never go to that neighborhood. You know, that neighborhood was fucked up back then. And there's a brick being thrown like a foot away from me out this window. Right. But, you know, just, I, know. I was, it, it just worked. It just felt, um, you know, I was, yeah, 16 or 15, 16, 17. It just worked. Yeah. So the, the European tour, by that point, that was 89. Uh, Capo had become a devotee, right? And yeah. weren't you like going to end and then basically like, hey, we got this chance to go to Europe let's go to Europe. Um, like what, what was that? What was that like, you know, at that point, I know you probably talked about it before, but kind of knowing like, this is probably going to be the end of, I didn't know we, that. Just we, no? we did we talk we about that. No, we didn't to end what happened was he went to India. Remember he went to India before we yeah. went to Europe. We couldn't even, we couldn't even contact him to find out if he was going to do the tour or not. I literally think that I sent a telegram to India trying to and, and, uh, somehow carrier pigeon. I think it was a carrier pigeon. <laughs> the day with the telegrams that would like come out of a little, you know, it was, it was four fax machines. Somehow or other, he was in India and he agreed to do the tour, but we didn't really know what was up with him. I remember it being in like we had in England, we went to like a Wimpy's burger because they had these uh, bean burgers, yeah, uh, vegetarian bean burgers. We all went for a Wimpy burger. And shit was popping off in England. We were on, uh, there was a feature on us in ID magazine. And um, we had like our, we had this big London show. We, it was just going really well. And Styrene came. Holly Styrene uh, was there. And uh, and we went out to like Wimpy's Burger. And I, and I don't know, maybe you guys have different memories, but we were all just sitting there and Capo just said, you know, like, um, I don't want to do this anymore. I feel like I need to do some other shit. And uh and and uh and that was pretty much it you know i don't know if there was really much conversation about it uh that i recall i mean i wasn't in i wanted to keep going i thought we were crushing it at that point yeah um we were bigger than ever and didn't it kind of have that feeling like okay we conquered america we conquered europe we're gonna conquer the freaking world like that's what it kind of felt like and then oh, sure. i thought we were unstoppable he just comes in and pulls the plug. I yeah, was, I was crushed. I mean, he was in, into Krishna and we weren't. So I think he was getting pulled very much uh, uh, in another direction than obviously like at that time, I don't think we were down to, to, although we were like talking about it all the time and like Jordan was there and we were always ta- so weird. Like here we are, this youth crew. Yeah, bleached hair. And we're like talking about death all the time and like all this like kind of heavy philosophical shit. 
And um, and you're all young too. That's what's yeah, like, we're all young, but we, you know, we were smart guys. Like we 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 were interested in in that. In we were interested in like not just surface shit. Um, and what we were doing was not just surface shit. So like, but I mean, you know, the 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 image might come off that way, but the the, the reason that it worked, I think, is because Ray is thinking deeply about these things, and um. And definitely tapping into that in in the three of us for sure, like making us think about different things, you know, making people think about different things, like be it, you know, uh, substance abuse, but like vegetarianism was a big one. Um, but I think when it came to Krishna consciousness, I think that was like a a, a, a bigger step. And you know, uh, obviously Purcell got into it, but I think at that time Ray was kind of just a little further out there on on his own, and and probably not just Krishna consciousness, but just his own you know that that kind of like hunger that there's something that 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 there's got to be more to this and for us it was like this is pretty good for it being this is good yeah. like i'm i'm pleased but uh but there was really no way to like make to pep talk ray into it or i just didn't feel like that was going to work or that we just kind of and we had been successful and there was no really like an idea of being in my mind, I'm speaking for myself, but like, how much bigger could we be? Like, you know, we, we just toured Europe and blah, 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 blah. We did have, have accomplished quite a, quite a lot. And it was a nice story, but um, I don't know. That's how, how I kind of remember it. Although, you know, I will say this, when we came up with all those um, disengaged songs, I was just thinking like, and, and it was already kind of like known that, okay, we're just going to put this out and this is going to be our last yeah. release. I was thinking like we're coming up with the most interesting music that we yeah. ever came up with. Like disengage, I thought this is our best song, you know? And yeah. it's it's still hardcore, but it's slightly a little bit more melodic and it's got this whole new thing to it. And uh it would have been interesting if we did another record, I think. Oh hell yeah. I wish we had. I think if we had if the disengage thing was an album, it would be a very significant album. I think we kind of like, I mean, I'm happy with the way everything is. But um, it was sort of a missed opportunity. I, mean, I think Ray is cool. I don't know what you guys are talking about. I think he's actually a really nice guy. Are you guys voting me out of the band? What's going on? <laughs> Welcome. Yeah, you're fine. I'm so sorry, guys. I got, believe it or not, I got caught up in lawn mowing, which is like meditation for me. <laughs> Look how clean that lawn is behind it. Yeah, it looks good. Good. And I just completely lost track of time. And I came up, picked up my phone, and said, "Ray, are you getting on this call?" Super sorry. <laughs> cool. We've been going through it, man. We're talking about this record and um. What record? Things. We're not alone. Oh, what a mess that was. We were talking about the uh, <laughs> the European tour. This <laughs> 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 Ray, catch up your point of view. Everyone's heard our bullshit. Like, what was your vibe? That record was a mess. Oh my God. I was happy with everybody's performance. The production was so bad. You remember it? You couldn't hear the drums. Oh, oh yeah. my God. So embarrassing. Uh, uh, and somehow, like, somehow, the just the, that's the, I think the beauty of hardcore is like the spirit alone carried it through. Yep. Like the spirit alone. I, maybe that's you to today's like subtitle. The spirit alone carries it through because it's not like we were like perfectionists with anything, especially in the studio. Um, but we were into it. 
from yeah. our very first show. I, I think it's safe to say Youth of Today never had a bad show. I think uh, Par Purcell will uh, vouch for that. Maybe um, and I don't think Vienna, but even that show, there was something glorious. It was a Vienna. It was a great show. Vienna was a great show. Yeah, I think you had a good ability to kind of make the the most out of any situation. You know, what were those songs? We were talking about writing those songs and not really knowing what you were going to sing because we were working on the music. And then, so what was going on in your head? Like all of a sudden, you popped up one day and you sang every single song in one day. Like what, how did what you, song? Just all of what them. Album? How did you? Like oh, how album? long what were you record? working on? Not on this long. Like, uh, put it aside, um, uh, potential friends, choose to be just like all those, keep it up. All those, I don't know. I think I had all those songs written well ahead of time, but I'm not positive. Okay, it was 37 years ago, I think. Um, you didn't really sing them in practice. I do remember you him having uh, like writing shit and like saying like, hey, this is blah blah blah, showing a line and stuff. I think maybe he'd go to rehearsal as much. Like, I think keep it up was an, it, I had an issue with keep it up. That was that, that one I struggled with, but I think for the rest of it, I had it down pat what I was going to do. Um, okay. I got to get into word on this alone. Mind space where we were at. We were talking about just some of those, uh, even like what goes around and, um, and no more. I just saw like, you know, it was, it was a lot of firsts in the hardcore world with that. We call that Harry uh, Krishna adjacent. Yes. It was very Harry Krishna adjacent, wasn't it? No more. We're not. Uh, comes around, goes around. Yes. Dipping toes in. <laughs> What's that? Dipping the toes in. Dipping the toes in. Yes. What is it about keep it up? Because we were talking about keep it up and like, that we were saying that when we played Keep It Up, for some reason, you would just like really go aggro on that one and just really shove it down people's throats. Like, what is it about that song? You just mentioned that you, you struggled with it. Was there anything that you that you I kind think of it was my own. I, I struggled my own like self. Uh, just like my own self doubts and controlling my consciousness and mind and senses. So I, I think it was like it was yelling at myself. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you used to change the words from you to I. Remember that when you said Right, that? because I think that was a pivotal point in my life where I stopped preaching to people and started preaching to myself. You know what I mean? Which I think is a huge step in any human evolution is like you try to change the world by changing yourself. And that was sort of, I think that was like a key. That was a, a very spiritual time in my life. I think we're not on this alone and it, everything sort of shifted for me it, like like I, I get it i'm writing these for me i'm writing these for my own human frailties not for the world's problem problems that i'm you know struggling with sort of the beauty of straight edge it was a little bit i, I feel it was a little bit more it, it, it at least it should have been and i felt like in a lot of ways it was it was a little bit more responsible than punk rock where punk rock had a lot of finger pointing no pun intended. <laughs> Punk rock yeah, I feel like it seems like in looking back and like you open up this door, you know, like, yeah, there was a strategy things that you could write about before then that everyone sort of did and, and knew about. But I feel like you were able to make this connection to, well, let me run with this idea about slow down, you know, let me run with this idea about, you know, potential friends and being, you know, just a good person being open to the unknown, right. like whatever it is, like that ability to, and yeah, maybe it's Krishna adjacent, but to make that connection and introduce all those themes was cool. 
I really like the um the idea of uh, now that I'm thinking about it is a blind patriot because when we were doing uh, youth today that's the end of the eighties there there's like a lot of um like Reagan pro America kind of bullshit going on that people were like if you went to CBS in like a CCCP T-shirt you would get your ass beat like you you would like you could not go against that in any sort of way. And that was definitely a thing in the scene. And then you write a song called Blind Patriot, which is like, you know, kind of challenging, not like necessarily like, um, you know, the Constitution. Just, we are, was, we are challenging was, like extremists. Yeah. I mean, one thing Youth of Today did, and I don't know if people are even aware of this, like we were, we, <laughs> we were super confrontational with a lot of people, including Nazis, including racists, including, I mean, we put our, like, we, we weren't like on a keyboard on Facebook under a guy's name. We were like in people's faces, Yeah, you know, like we were ready to, we had skin in the game. If we, you know, we were going to get in a fight over it or risk our life over it right. or, and it was, it was pretty cool in that regard. We were a little, we were really bold, uh, even on that, even on that European tour. I don't know if you remember that show where we showed up and we played, I don't know, because I had a shaved head in the poster. It was like hundreds of Nazi skinheads and their wives had showed up for that performance. Yeah. <laughs> and somehow, like a dumb dumb that I am, thinking I'm completely invincible like Superman, I still managed to preach against it in front of them. Yet somehow tricking them with hard music and a shaven head. It was quite interesting phenomenon. We were just talking about that show. That was it. That was, and we, I remember playing the song Prejudice, and you were just like, this because I thought you fucking Nazis, like just going for it. Yeah. We stepped up. It was cool. That was a scary moment. Like, oh my God, listen to Ray. Are we going to die tonight? Well, it's especially scary because it was the same day. That was our second show. And the first show, there was a riot. With yep. the metalheads. Yes. Yeah. When you that must have been some night, weird. When your head hit the pillow that night, man, you must have just been like, <laughs> I'm completely satisfied. I've done my work of the day. <laughs> hey, Ragu, do you remember any, is there any specific instances or things that inspired some of the lyrics on when on this alone? Like, was potential friend about any kind of specific thing that happened with you that you actually made some friend or it was just an idea you had? Remember you talking about being on a bus or something? I don't know if that's- No, I, you know, I was just, I was just like introspective about just sort of like, uh, you know, I think uh, it's part of like a spiritual journey too. I think you're, there's a deep like lo loneliness of the heart, you know what I mean? And to want to connect, I mean, ultimately with God, but, uh, you know, just with other people. I think that's that, that, that sort of loneliness. Um, I think that sort of like also pushed me towards a spiritual path as well too, an internal loneliness. It's sort of like, we're not doing all the things that everybody's doing. That's in a successful band. We weren't partiers. We didn't go, you know, we weren't like clubsters. We weren't, you know, doing all those sort of things that to distract you we're sort of like sort of like a, a weird teenage sages in a sense was was with sense control so with that comes like well where do you get your joy from if you don't have a meditational practice or some 
spiritual practice, you just find yourself a little lonely. And I think that's where I found myself. For me, it was a very tough time in my life, uh, you know, 21 years old, because I was, you know, it, it sort of perpetuated, it, it propelled me on like my spiritual journey, you know. What about the album title? I thought that we were talking about that, about the cover photo and we're all there and then it's, we're not in the salon. I hate to break it to everybody. Yeah. Melora took a bunch of lousy photos. And then I said, do it like this. Get really tight. I'll hold my arm, get right up. I'm gonna cut off my head. And that was the one we kept. I hate I did, to say it. I did see the outtakes recently, or some of them, and they're pretty cool. They're not like, good. The covers, <laughs> the covers, they're great. I'm glad we landed where we landed. Isn't but, uh, isn't the outtake with Dylan? Dylan's on the bike, right? Is that Dylan? He's on the cover on the bike. You can sort of see him a little bit. I mean, I, I like the concept, but I had an idea in mind. I give her credit for the color Xerox. I thought that was a cool. I'm giving her credit for that. I wish. I wonder what happened to the original picture of that. What about that? Where the album, the "Went on the Salon, where'd that come from? The song? Wait a second. Let's hold, hold, freeze that for a second. You, I did tell you guys that I ran into her 30 years later. She came to a yoga class in upstate New York. And she goes, do you remember me? My name's Melora. I took that photo. I was like, oh my God. I, or I was signing her in. I said, Melora, I only know one Melora. And I haven't seen her. She was like, she was my girlfriend's friend from art school. And it was like, damn, you live upstate now? And we just have this like connection. I go, do you know that record got really big? And she's like, you're kidding. No, I never knew that. I was like, it got really big. <laughs> that photo's a famous photo. I and should have asked her about the, the originals. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'd like to see those. Yeah, I would like to see the whole role. That would be incredible. Mm -hmm. Well, she lives in the Hudson area. You might run her. I, I barely recognized her. Wow. I mean, a lot changes from the time you're 22 to 52. Yeah. yeah. Um, why did you decide to call it We're Not in This Alone? We're Not in This Alone. Um, you know, for me, I would just write packs of interesting things. I'd like like write cool phrases down, potential friends. Or, you know, goes around, comes around. You know, We're Not in This Alone. They're just like going through my notebooks and then I'll be like, this one should be a song. This one could be a good title of an album. This one. So I'd pick out phrases that really stuck with me. And I, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess because we had a pack, a posse. And, you know, the concept of we rise from community, you know, um, and we find our we find our community lifts us when we're when we're weak and we lift the community when we're strong. It was sort of cool because it was almost like the unwritten line of Flame Still Burns. You know, I know I'm not singing this song alone. I never yeah. thought about that. I thought about that. Then, of course, there was uh, um, A Time Will Remember. That was my bromance with Parmananda, Purcell. <laughs> I was like, because we watched this whole thing grow together. And, it, you know, it was quite fascinating. As a matter of fact, it's, it's more fascinating that we're even talking about it now and people care. That was even more fascinating. We were fascinated with it then in we 1980. This is amazing. It's been like three great years. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this. We've been here forever doing this. I was going to say, it's got to be surreal to be talking about this 35 years later. 
it's and, more surreal that people care and are interviewing about it. yeah it's, i mean the one thing we were all sitting in a pool 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 alley or what they call them a pool hall and you know and talking yeah i remember when we did the bands but the fact that people care want to know you know fun facts about it that's really that's really cool the fact that javier has the cassette tape 35 years later <laughs> yeah so, I mean, the other thing that's cool is like we we played a show in austin recently and my flight was screwed up and i had to go from the airport to the stage and we hadn't played together in in like two years because of the pandemic and um and we just went right up on stage and just tick 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 just played awesome like for an hour you know and well i will that, say something about cool. this lineup we have like like a magical lineup with this me walter sammy purcell it's, it's like a magic you know and like you know, when four things just click like a puzzle together, we really clicked it off better than any other lineup that we ever had. And we can just go very naturally on stage. That last tour we did where you were in England and I can't, I can't remember. Exactly. Yeah, Greg, Greg brought that up in our, when we were talking before this is that, you know, before you guys got back together for this is hardcore in 2016, you had been playing, uh, Raghu and, and Parmananda have been playing with different people. So, Greg, like, sorry yeah, to well, step on your so, toes there. No, I, I was going to say, because I know there was, so you guys end in 89, and then 94 was that City Gardens, <clears throat> sorry, City Gardens um, reunion. I was sick of it all. That was, we did like yeah. songs or that something. Awesome. And um, <laughs> it's, awesome. it's on YouTube. It's inc- It's like one of the best like hardcore sets you will ever see. I, I wish I could have been there. That was a shelter what? show, right? That, that yeah. Played, Walter came out, we played uh, some of today's songs. It was what? just, I remember yeah, Walter, it was mayhem. Walter just walked on stage and kids put two and two together. And before we even started playing, kids were moshing. Like the whole crowd was kind of like, <laughs> oh my God. Cause Sam, I think you were Today playing with shelter at that bigger. time. Yeah, I think they so. got bigger yeah. after we broke up, didn't it? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then you did the ones in Connecticut in 99. Sam, you drummed for those, right? Because we were, it was we the were one watching that, the video. Uh, uh, Jamie Tim Brooks put together. It was like, yes. Yeah, and, and, and Tim yeah. Brooks played bass. And then I saw you oh, guys yeah. with, um, maybe in 2004, and, and Ken Olden played bass, but Sam, you drummed again. Um, yeah. And then other ones with that uh, Vinny on drums and Ken. Okay. So what, what made this lineup come back was it was it like that chemistry that ragu was talking it was about like uh new coke versus the original recipe i think the new coke didn't work and people so wanted good. yeah people wanted the uh the the, the class coca-cola classic classic coke that was it i was thinking what he's hit it the nail on the head there's something about you mix those four ingredients together and you get something that's greater than what you put in and yeah, mean, it's more than four people. That's a good point. You just can't recreate that. So what was it like that first? Because I think the first reunion ones you did uh, with the four of you was overseas, right? Um, oh, yeah. Like Berlin. What and, was that like? Uh, those those were great. They were really good. I The one that really clicked was that union transfer show in Philadelphia was like, Man, that was, was going to say, um, I was there. With, uh, yeah, we were there. And something that's, in the air. There was just it was a, so fun. So yeah, fun. And, and then to Capo to be, to still have the ability to just kind of um, 
do handstands in the middle just, of the set. Is, but just to connect with the lyrics and the things that he says before the songs are just, it's not, it's from the heart and, and it, it works and it makes it all, uh, I think it's the main reason why we're about to go to Europe in a month to keep doing this stuff because it, um, you know, the music is fun, but he's really focused on the lyrics and he, he's got still something very important to say that sets all these songs up in a cool way. I, I love the Berlin show too. I don't know. I guess that was before that, but um, SO36 is kind of like the CBGBs of, uh, of um, Europe or, or of, of Germany. It's like v such a cool club sold out. And uh, Ray had a yoga class right directly before the show. And uh, me and Purcell went to the class and just like did a yoga class together. And um and uh, it kind of kicked my ass. And then we just like went directly from the yoga class, like onto stage and had this like kind of euphoric show. And Ray was already in this amazing mode of, um, you know, cause he, Ray's communicating with, with his yoga classes. I mean, it's not the same as youth today, but he's basically, the function is like, he's trying to share this kind of, um, this story and this, and, and this uh, practice with people. And then to see it like immediately shift to like hardcore focus. And uh, I've just ne never been so chill at a show ever, like coming off of that yoga class. And just I think he flew from like Costa Rica and took two flights. I remember communicating with him and I was like, I was like, are you like, do you need a haircut or like, what are you going to shave? He's like, I look like Kenny. He's like, I look like Kenny Loggins. <laughs> and I remember just, I was like, and he sent me a picture of himself. And I was just like, oh my God, like, like we need a razor, clean this man up. <laughs> you know you know what's cool about youth of today um that i really felt even at the last show that we played in austin is wow. that it doesn't every single time we play to me it never feels like a nostalgia act we i never feel like you know we're motley crew and we're just playing all these old songs and people who are teenagers are having these kind of flashbacks of what it was like being a teenager i always feel like it's almost like the lyrics mean more today than they meant back then. You know, those, those, those songs and those messages, they're so timeless that even if you apply them today, even if you're a 16 year old kid today, you can listen to those songs and you're like, wow, you know, I think they would speak to kids. Yeah. I think that commitment to the, the, uh, that the songs are, you know, and Ray will kind of make this point on stage, but that they're anthems and also that they have this, um, philosophical, sort of point of view that's that that I still through my entire life can back and so like when you're playing these songs it's just like you're kind of um kind of like amplifying a signal of some sort of positive idea and some sort of uh helpful I mean positive maybe isn't even the right word but like some sort of like uh something that's going to push push things in in a better direction and and with that hope in mind and and that kind of betterment and so like, you're not just playing the songs, you're like enveloping this like concept. And, uh, and it, I don't know. And of course it's, my hands are moving so fast and I'm jumping around. I don't know what's going on with my body, but it's just like, it just keeps moving. And, and um, you know, you're dodging people and, um, and, and you're dodging Ray or whatever, you're having laughs. But, um, but in the end, like the songs have these like themes that I, I feel like, um, of course I connect to them differently than when I was, you know, 18 or something like that, but not so differently. Like it's, it's, it's basically just good stuff, you know? Well, I wanted to say when you guys played at the union transfer show, 
Walter, you just looked like you were an absolute joy. Like, like you could see Always. the joy of just so playing fun. those songs. And it just, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's just Where like a first awesome. union transfer guys. Philly, uh, Philadelphia. Okay. okay. I mean, I saw you guys at that oh, yeah. weird, that weird, like beach goth fest in LA a couple years ago. Remember that? And it was like in the middle of the day in a field <laughs> outside. And it was still, it looked like you guys were having so much fun at this <laughs> random show with like the drums and like Chicano Batman and like maybe Mexican okay, wrestler. Was- it was strange, but Walter, especially it's just a smile on the face the whole time. Like this is where you're supposed to be. It's so natural. Yeah. I think we've all gotten uh, better. I think just, you know, just at appreciating it more. Like when we do play, it's like, okay, we're, we're on stage right now you know who knows how long this will last so like and it was a, kind of a pain in the ass to get here like right. here. let's enjoy With, it and your lifelong right. friends and you get to do this and yeah. and make yeah. people happy like it's pretty it's pretty awesome like yeah. you know i feel like um it's a, a peculiar character trait i have that the sort of like the band sort of chameleons in on just by by force of being around it we can become incredibly silly and incredibly serious on a hairpin turn. Yeah. Like we're all sort of fun and goofy. And then we can bring it to like gravely serious in a moment. And sometimes it can scare the hell out of me. Like sometimes I scare the hell out of me with like just, I can like, like I can lose, I can go from like zero to 11 in two and a half seconds. And um, it's that type of like, which sort of probably makes me abrasive to be friends with. But like on stage, it worked out great. Like there is like an energy like in like that Ray Capo archetype that was just like, like can lose his mind. And and you can't if you're in the band, you can't get help, help, you know, help get swept up and like, yeah, we're all losing our minds. (laughs) Do you remember we used to have um, we used to have huddles before we played Mm -hmm. and Capo would give like a pep talk and he would be and it was like. 100% 100% completely serious. It's like, we're going to go out there. We're going to change the world person by person. Let's get psyched. Let's go out there and make a change. And we were just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we just keep playing. Like, this is great. We're playing. Oh my God, we're playing. We're playing. Oh my God, we're playing. Oh my God, my drum set's gone because he grabbed it and he threw it across the stage. <laughs> and now I don't have a drum set. Sometimes you got to throw a drum set to make a point. Yeah. But it, was pretty, but it was pretty natural, you know, the going crazy on stage. So there was something behind it. Like we felt like we were on a mission. <laughs> yeah. It was the sense, like of, a, the sense of humor thing is interesting too. Cause that is, um, yeah. Like the level of humor is intense I and mean, we just get together. We laugh. Yeah. Well, it, well, because you know? we're saying all these very serious things on stage where I'm screaming my head off. I'm making these like very bold statements and then, but, so you must think these guys are incredibly serious about their life, like a bunch of army sergeants. But then, you know, when we get together, I mean, that time we were in Berlin that we first saw each other and haven't seen each other in a while. We just, it's like we all clicked into place and just laughed nonstop about t-shirts for like an hour (laughs) and a half, like nonstop. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think just thinking about the recording too of just that day again that you did all the vocals and maybe that was the norm back then. Maybe most, I mean, I feel like wasn't, don't forget this 
struggle was recorded one day or maybe most records were recorded like that but just like you must have been uh connected to some soup whatever like some serious or some really good coffee or what something got you through that day you know what I mean? like, or some really good coffee or something <laughs> it was insane it was like first takes maybe two takes um really cool it's yeah, hard to remember doing the vocals for when I'm this alone, although I did do it once where I fainted. You passed out during Choose um, to Be That, yeah. Well, what did Chicago, do, you, do you remember any of the things that we wrote on the wall for Danzig? Remember we had that Danzig graffiti? Yeah, well, you know, we hated, me and Purcell especially, hated goth. We like, <laughs> we just hated anything gothic. That includes black jeans, a black <laughs> t-shirt, like a black baseball cap, black stocks any type of boot over a monkey boot if we were to if you were wearing anything black we would just under our breath but audibly say warlock warlock <laughs> we just call everybody warlocks anybody black mascara it was just like we it was like straight edge versus warlocks we just hated the concept of warlocks and we took that into our uh, <laughs> we took that into our New York City like persona because there was a lot of warlocks within the scene. It was a thing, the warlock, the, the in the punk scene. And being warlock that worked at Free Being Records. The Free Being Warlock, yes, that worked at Free Being Records. And then we went on tour with Seven Seconds, and Belvy was sort of a warlock. We never let him hurt you at the end of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was all in, it was all in good fun, but we we had this like desire to to push forward the fashion and the cleanliness and the hair uh, uh hair cuts of the of the music scene to be a little bit more clean cut and um lighter away towards the dark side we had a, we had like an anti i think we were sort of like pendulum swinging from the singer and violent children who was really into like wasp and dio and you know the you know the this type of like sort of like to be in the studio with while Danzig's recording his first record it's like the ultimate warlock is right under your nose every time you leave the studio he's coming in yeah that was kind of like yeah so we just had fun war you know we would write warlock Danzig's a warlock um although we probably took that as a compliment (laughs) we used it as (laughs) we used it as a pejorative uh Hey, hey fellas i'm sorry but i gotta bounce um so uh I got to uh, run too. I think we, I think we covered a lot of good stuff. Any more? Uh, sure. Can we get hot tracks real quick? Favorite song of the album? Yeah. 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 Holy, kick the hot Rapid track. Rapid fire, Walter, hot track. Hot track. Um, uh, that means your favorite track? Flamester Burns. Sorry. It's just great. Good one. I'm going to uh, choose to be. Slow down. Slow down. Love Slow it. Slow down, dude. I'm going with Flame Still Burns to the Day I Die. One of my favorite songs to play out of my whole that's, that's a career. Tough one. Good songs on there. Off. Uh, mine's put like it aside because name. put it aside like because uh, Ray says fuck like 10 times in that song. I counted yeah. today. You know what? It, it's the, the fucks that make that <laughs> win. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a great, it's not like it's the best song. But I just lose my mind. Yeah. It sounds so unhinged. Yeah. That's also mine, Hav. That, yeah. So, so we rarely oh, agree. Wow. Unhinged. But it's that's what makes it great. It's so raw and just spontaneous. Like it sounds like it wasn't 
planned. Yeah, like, like there's just... only one fuck in the lyric sheet, but there's 10 on the song. <laughs> so he went into the into the vocal booth and was like, I just got to sneak some fucks in there. Like it was re- it was so repressed his whole life. He's like, now's my chance to say fuck so many times. That is so funny. And to this day, I don't let my kids listen to that record. Yeah, so you get all quiet and you're like, I don't want my kids to hear me say fuck. <laughs> Jason. Choose to be. It's like the song was written with the exact thoughts in my head for what I felt about what was going on when I first started going to shows and just not wanting to be tough and fuck people up, but more I cared about hardcore. That's how I took that song. So always right, love right. that one. Thank you. How are you guys? Burrito right, night. Dudes. Thanks for having me. Roger, 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 Roger thanks, hear this. Sorry, thanks, I'm for, uh, thanks for wearing my band shirt all the time. My band wanted me to tell you they're super What's up, y'all? It's Javier. Um, Listen, if you were a patron, then right now you would be listening to me, Jason, and Greg talk about our very special feelings about this record. We're not in this alone. But I don't know if that's the case. You might not be a patron, so um, you're not. This is the end for you, basically. So if you want to be a patron... Head over to www.whereitwinpodcast.com. You can learn about how to help us and unlock all of this cool uh, bonus content. And while I'm here, I would love to give a quick bit of bow to our top tier patrons. Billy Tennell, Brandon Gavell, Brian Skiffington, Brooklyn, Cesar Falcon, Chad Keplinger, Cliche John, David Palmer, Dirk Focused, JPD2, John Cowell, Quiet Keith, Nate of Head to Wall Fame, Rob Moran, Ryan Walker, Tim Shear, Tyler of the Life and Death Brigade, Siren Records, and Dollar Slice Bootlegs. That's it. Um, thanks to everybody for making it this far. And uh, if you are a patron, head over to Patreon, listen to us talk. If you're not, I don't know. I, I, can't, I, I don't know what else I can tell you. I've already said it enough times. But um, yeah, we'll see you next episode. Bidipo.